Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. Thanks for being here. I'm your host, Chris Hill, and joining me in studio this week from Motley Fool Hidden Gems, Seth Jason, from Motley Fool Income Investor, James Early, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Ron Gross. Guys, good to see you. Chris. Hey, 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 Chris. Last week, we had personal finance expert Clark Howard. This week, we've got our own retirement expert, Robert Brokamp, with some tips on how to make your money go farther. We've also got the latest on Bank of America, Yahoo, Google, and more. But we will begin with the big macro. President Obama went before Congress this week to unveil his $447 billion jobs plan to stimulate the economy. Ron, a lot of proposals. Uh, the president is proposing an extension of the, mid- of the payroll tax cut and $140 billion for modernizing schools and improving infrastructure. What do you think of the plan overall? I thought the plan looked good. Obviously, there's some politics here. Yes. But I think from an no economic way. perspective, no, I, I doubt that. Guys, come on. <laughs> Everyone's going to get behind this. Everyone <laughs> agrees on what's right for America. Yeah, if this gets passed, I think from an economic perspective, it looks good. He's trying to keep us out of recession and keep growth moving along. James? And th- well, the best thing from Obama's standpoint is in typical political fashion. I actually like the plan, too. I'm just going to make fun of it a little bit. But <laughs> he is shoving all his money now, deficit spending, but he's going to pay for it over the next 10 years or so with cuts once he's gone, basically. And that's kind of how politicians work. Uh, I do love the benefits while working things. So you can keep your unemployment benefits while you're volunteering or trying out, test driving a new job, if you will. That makes it a lot easier for employers to hire somebody they don't have to pay unless they really like them and want to hire them. Seth? I thought it was too small. Well, let me take that back. I, $447 billion? Too, too small? small? Well, a lot of that is tax cuts. And Tax cuts, I don't think, are really all that effective at increasing employment right now because the presumption you have there is that there are all these employers going, oh, if you know, if only I could pay a little bit less in taxes, uh, I would just hire one more person. That's not really the case. They, they hire more people when they need people, and they need people when demand for products and services goes up. So that part of it, I think, is the sop being thrown to the Republicans to dare them to oppose this. The infrastructure bit the $147 billion or $150 billion, or, uh, whatever it is. I think that could actually be bigger. And that's a lot of money, and we do need to pay for it someday. But it is one of the quicker and more direct ways to actually get some uh, construction and uh, other employment going out there. And yes, you know, that stuff is by nature somewhat temporary. It's, it's going to end at some point in the future. But the, the whole purpose of a bill like this is to have enough uh, shorter-term stimulus to kind of get kickstart the economy. And then once people start spending, you hopefully get that virtuous cycle of growth again. September is off to a rough start for Bank of America. The company was included in a lawsuit charging Bank of America, among other big banks, sold nearly $200 billion in fraudulent mortgage investments to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And on Friday, the Wall Street Journal reported that Bank of America is considering cutting as many as 40,000 jobs. James Early? Not a good week for Bank of America. It's been a rough week, Chris. Um, <laughs> week? <laughs> rough past four years. I, I'm searching for a better analogy, but, but coming up blank, I'm going to have to use this one. The, the bank is essentially regurgitating the, the overconsumption of Ken Lewis. Ken Lewis was the former CEO who just went on this huge <laughs> acquisition spree, bought up all of these companies, and, and now they have these 288,000 employees, and, and, and frankly, they, they apparently don't need them all, so they're going to cut out 40,000, 45,000 of them. I think the bank needs to be broken up. I think that's a lot cleaner. 
I think it's ironic that, that Brian Moynihan, CEO, is, is, is sort of firing everyone but himself. Uh, and he's, I, I see him now as part of the problem. They're, yeah, they're getting sued now by the, 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 the conservator for Fannie uh, Mae and Freddie Mac, a state attorney general, I believe, and, and AIG also is suing Bank of America. So they're, they're in a lot of hot water. Seth? Let's not forget that possibly the thing that they choked on that caused the regurge now, it would be uh, countrywide, that horrible, horrible uh, lending operation mm-hmm. run by that former Orange CEO, Angela Mozilla, which had all those terrible no, I think he's still orange. He's still yeah. orange. Formerly, formerly CEO, possibly still orange. I'm a little envious of his tan, though. No, that's not a tan. I don't know if it's a spray-on <laughs> product or it's a salon-based tan. Either way, I, I kind of like it. Right. Either way, that's the, nicest, that's the nicest joke you can make about the guy because he really had a horrible impact on this country and, and its economy. He sold tons of stock in his company at the height of the real estate bubble. And Bank of America is still dealing with the junk that this guy created, and then, and then, of course, eventually was sold on to Fannie and Freddie and, and many others. I mean, this is a this is a, a horrible company, and it was a horrible human being, I think. And we're still we're still paying for it. Is the lesson not to trust people that tan? The lesson is not <laughs> to let these companies get get too big to fail. And what they did when what that was completely obvious, but they just let them get even bigger. Well, we've talked in this room before about bank stocks. Uh, I think you guys are pretty much unanimous that uh, you largely stay away from them. Uh, but outside this room, on the other side of the glass, is our man Steve Roido. Um, Thank uh, you. Steve, you're, <laughs> um, as we've talked about recently on our daily podcast, Market Fuller, you're, you're a Bank of America shareholder. Yeah, I owned some shares before, and I, I added to my position when uh, it was at, I think, a new 52-week low around about that. My whole motto is buy low, sell high. <laughs> are you are you low or, or high or lower right now? Uh, I think my cost basis went down. Uh, I don't remember exactly. I, I need to take a look at exactly my purchase price. I don't think it's working out so swimmingly Cost right basis now. going down is a fancy way of saying you're losing money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. You can <laughs> look know at it that fire, way. Sure <laughs> I look at it as opportunity. <laughs> yeah. They continue to fire people soon. They should be pretty profitable. Buy low, sell high, though? Let me write that down. <laughs> You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're here every week. But for daily analysis on the latest money news, you can check out our daily podcast, Market Foolery, on iTunes and at marketfoolery.com. Yahoo's board of directors has fired CEO Carol Bartz. She'd been CEO for two and a half years. Chief Financial Officer Tim Morse is now the interim CEO. As the board says, it plans to hire an executive search firm to find a permanent CEO to replace Bartz. Uh, Seth, shares of Yahoo were up immediately after this news broke, and they're up for the week. What do you make of all this? You know, we, we thought Carol was a lot of fun around here. We liked her because she was always dropping F-bombs. I mean, <laughs> if you think that I, I let the occasional bad word slip, you should have listened to her. She was, in, in many ways, uh, inherited an impossible situation. What the board presumably wants from a CEO at Yahoo is for uh, an executive to come up with an entire new vision for this company and remake it. And that's not really possible. What the Yahoo board needs to realize is it's this over-the-hill portal, and, and nothing's going to change that. And what, what uh, Bartz did, would, uh, I mean, she, made, she did the deal with Microsoft on search, uh, cut a lot of costs. Mm-hmm. And those were good things, but there's no miracle here. So I actually feel a little bit bad for, her, except you know, for the fact that she, I think, took home tens of millions of dollars. For, yeah, I think uh, I think her uh, severance package was about ten million, and she did uh, within 24 hours of being fired over the phone. Um, she did give an interview to uh, Fortune magazine where she uh, called the board a bunch of doofuses and said they doofuses. E- that is rated well, G. For <laughs> they, they, they did say uh, she did also say they effed me over. So oh. uh, there is that. And you still find her sassy manner attractive, Chris? Is that? 
Absolutely. My, my love for Carol Bartz has not She's changed. She's got more time for you now. One iota. She might write me back now. Building on her opinion of the board, Dan Loeb of Third Point uh, Partners has recently announced that he owns more than 5% of the stock, and he's agitating for change as well. Um, we own Yahoo and Million Dollar Portfolio, not necessarily because we think it's a well-run company, but it is a collection of assets that we think are worth more than the, company, uh, the current market cap of the company. And uh, if uh, Dan Loeb or, or anyone is successful in perhaps breaking the company up into its pieces, we think we'll make money. Yeah, becoming the CEO of Yahoo is a bit like being placed on a speeding bus with no brakes and no steering wheel. It's like you're stuck. And a bomb? And a bu- <laughs> <laughs> I, won't I go saw that, far. that movie. Um, I mean, Yahoo, Yahoo pretty much defined the internet 10 years ago, and that's the problem. It still pretty much defines the internet of 10 years ago today. Uh, it just hasn't changed. Uh, things have evolved. Yahoo has not. So I agree with Ron that, that it should be broken up, and, and there's more value there. Its Chinese assets are pretty uh, strong. I mean, it 40% has- 40% of it, the value. It, right, and it has, you know, Alibaba.com, Alipay, uh, Taibao, that's not pronounced right. To, to how do you pronounce Taibao? it? Yeah, Taibao. Taibao works. These are really These are very. These are number one sites in China um, yep. from an e-commerce perspective, and there is a lot of value there. Coming up, if you were eagerly anticipating Groupon's IPO by the end of the month, we've got some bad news. Details in a moment. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in the studio with Seth Jason, James Early, and Ron Gross. The Financial Times has reported that DirecTV is no longer in the bidding for Hulu, so just four bidders remain, Amazon, Yahoo, Dish Network, and Google. Seth Jason, the bidding is reportedly in the range of $1.5 to $2 billion. Who are you betting on? Is that all? One and a half to two billion? It's a drop in the bucket for Google. Well, some people would say the smart money's on Dish. They can couple it up with that whole blockbuster uh, arrangement, sure. right? And uh, and offer a nice uh, suite of e-services. I think that thesis makes sense. I think Amazon would be wise to pay up because it could be a pretty valuable uh, piece of a bigger ecosystem for them. I'm really surprised that sort of Microsoft and Apple have have left it alone, but they must have they must have good reasons. Uh, but this would be you know, almost no money for either of them to secure some pretty good content agreements and, and actually a, a really good service. I'm a subscriber to Hulu, and although the movies are generally terrible, they've got a much better selection of up-to-date TV. Did, did I read this as it gets you five years' worth of rights, or is it an outright I purchase? I, I, thought, and, and I, I thought I saw a couple of years. And then there's yeah. this Google thing that nobody seems to know what it is. It's this nebulous, oh, we want a much larger uh, picture idea where we'll give you a lot more money, but we want something that nobody quite knows what it is. Well, including, to Ron's point, um, uh, Contracts uh, that extend longer yeah, for how long they have I, the I really, content. I really wonder if that would happen. Depends on, I guess, what um, Google would be willing to pay out. But remember that Hulu evolved as a way to kind of head off Google at yeah. what they were trying to do, which, from my point of view, was blackmail. Uh, all of the content providers into doing deals with them by letting everybody upload, you know, copyrighted material to YouTube, and then only very late, painstakingly uh, take it down. I think Google prefers the word coerce yeah. to blackmail. So that's my opinion <laughs> that I'm they were blackmailing. That. <laughs> but uh, but that looks like what they were doing to me. Walmart announced it is bringing back layaway for holiday shoppers. James. Is offering pay-as-you-go plans going to help the world's biggest retailer? It, it, it might. Um, the terms are a little bit onerous. Uh, the, the basic idea of this layaway is to help people who don't have credit cards do their Christmas shopping. Uh, that's why they're introducing this now. You pay about 10% down. I think you do pay 10% down, a $5 fee. And if you decide to cancel the layaway, you just want your money back, you have to forfeit 10 bucks. So 
it's it's not that cheap. Uh, I don't know what percent of the people will opt for this. Hopefully not. Credit cards have largely done away with layaway, but it's just more of a, a proxy and indicator of where the economy is. Ron? And for now, it's really just about Christmas. It's This is a toys and electronics-based plan. They, they have always kind of had jewelry layaway. So they're going to reevaluate after the Christmas season to see if it, it, it you know it's worth making this permanent or extending it out into other things. But for now, this is a way to to get Christmas uh, better, perhaps than it may have been. We've talked numerous times in here about Walmart's uh, almost. Uh, dual levels of success. Internationally, Walmart seems to be growing uh, at a much faster rate and delivering in much better ways than it is here in the U.S., where same-store sales continue uh, just to decline quarter over quarter. Well, it's saturated here, so there's just not a lot you can do to to grow it. There's already a Walmart in pretty much any market that can support one, and in the ones that they thought couldn't, there are uh, these other sort of dollar generals and these other smaller outfits that fill that niche. So, uh, so they really have run out of room here. Now, overseas, the, and it's, this doesn't work in every country, by the way. They mm-hmm. had a lot of trouble, I believe, in Germany, and it depends on South the culture. Korea too. Yeah. But in places like Mexico, where, you know, the stores were pretty rudimentary and would, didn't have goods and the prices weren't cheap, you know, they've done very, very well. And here in the U.S., they kind of lost their way from a merchandising perspective, moving away from what really had made them successful, and now they're getting back to it. And I, th- I think things are starting to stabilize here. Um, we actually own the stock here uh, at Million Dollar Portfolio as well. Um, and you we, guys we like, like all it. these over there. We, like we like it mostly for its international exposure, similar to to the reason we own Yahoo. Um, and if the U.S. stores can just stabilize, then the stock. Well, looks at least good. the and we own Walmart, also an income investor. I'll add. Um, at least the, ah, the you uh, teasers over here. The <laughs> comps are less less negative, which is the, the right. new the new positive these days. On Thursday, Google announced it has bought. Zagat, the company known for its I like reviews. how you strained to pronounce it's that Zagat properly. rhymes with the cat. Uh, Zagat, sorry. There was Can a, we just the, call it Big Z? <laughs> just for our dozens of listeners out there, there was a vigorous <laughs> for debate. For the three who've ever purchased this thing. <laughs> vigorous debate here in the studio before we went on the air about precisely how to pronounce Zagat, uh, the company known for its reviews of restaurants and hotels. Uh, Ron, we don't know how much Google paid. No. Um, it probably doesn't even matter, given how it, much cash the company has. probably does not. Uh, what is Google going to do with its new toy? It's an interesting acquisition. It's not nothing earth-shattering. This is not going to change the valuation of Google. But uh, it's going to be a nice compliment, I think, to their local uh, mobile offering. And they'll integrate it into their Google Places um, Offering and uh, it's good, it, you know. It'll it'll enhance mobile search and their maps, and it'll be a nice little offering that people have now to get these reviews. But it, it's not a game changer. But, but philosophically, if it won't change the valuation of Google, why would Google do it? It's a feather <laughs> in their stump. You have Yeah, you have. Well, if you recall, they did try to acquire Yelp um, down uh, a couple years ago, maybe, mm-hmm. and were unsuccessful. And this is their way of at least getting something into the fold that will will, will up themselves. their offerings a bit. Seth, and, and that's an interesting kind of comparison there because Yelp has has come under some fire for uh, supposedly having fake reviews or you know it's a really easy uh, for, if a business has very few reviews it's easy for someone to go on there and trash it all there I know is an income investor looks great on Yelp guys. yeah but uh, <laughs> but uh, or, or that uh, that you know supposedly you got better reviews if you were an advertiser through Yelp the one thing I like about this is that crowdsourced restaurant and other reviews I think uh, are flawed they're not always terrible but sometimes they are and Zagat is is 
pretty reliable. So Google has has a nice base of sort of higher end uh, reviews. But on the other hand, already on some of the, you know, on like my mobile phone here, which is a, a Windows phone, like I look on there and it already pulls in on the mapping. It shows me a restaurant. If I click the little thing on the restaurant, it's got TripAdvisor or Yelp or any mm-hmm. other reviews it can get its hands on. So this isn't going to change things much. It's just more of a, a, an expert review versus a crowdsourced review. And let's not forget, Google is an advertising company at its heart or a search company, but they make money on their advertising. So anything to draw you to doing a search, to looking at something, to get your eyeballs looking at an ad will enhance yep. their business, and, and that's that's the reason. According for, for to the Wall Street Journal, I think 20% of Google searches are for local businesses. That's huge. Yeah, very big. And finally, guys, Groupon was planning to go public by the end of the month and is now in its quiet period, uh, mandated by the SEC to make sure companies don't hype their own stock before the IPO. Uh, Now comes the news that Groupon has canceled its investor roadshow and has postponed its IPO indefinitely. Say it ain't so, Seth. Well, I guess when you have leaked memos and it kind of upends everything, this might be good news given the market environment, right? Maybe they can come back when people are a little more happy, happy, joy, joy again. And uh, But I, I'm going to walk back from uh, my idea that I've uh, espoused on the past few shows about what an utter catastrophe this business is. And for a couple of simple reasons, we just discussed Yelp. Yelp mm-hmm. has kind of gotten out of its daily deal business. And uh, this was a couple of weeks ago. About the same time, Facebook said, you know what, we ran this pilot we don't want to be in that business. That suggests one of two things to me. One is that this is a terrible business with no barrier to entry, and these two companies don't want to bother wasting capital trying to play in it. Or the other is that maybe the business is okay, and Groupon and probably Living Social, the the close second, I believe, have already wrapped up as much of it as you can get. And if that's the case, then, then actually maybe this company won't be an utter disaster, although it's still fun to listen to the whiny CEO. Ron? Even if I buy into Seth's argument, and I think he perhaps might be sniffing glue, um, <laughs> I still think a $20 billion- <laughs> glue. I think the, the $20 billion, a $20 billion valuation is, is still way off the mark here. Have you seen what earnings look like if you don't look <laughs> At any of the costs? <laughs> yes, I am. This is a very expensive business to run. I think that might be what's scaring the competitors away is, is that they'll let Groupon just blow themselves out of the water with all this cash uh, that they're burning, I mean, in a bad way. Uh, I think Groupon is crazy for, for post. I would be taking the money and running as fast as I could if I were Groupon. So it, it amazes me that they have so much faith in their business that they think it's actually going to be worth something in another year or whenever they're planning this this you know resurgence of the IPO. I'm going to close with brief proof of my insanity. This IPOs, I'd actually consider buying shares on the outside chance that it just goes on to become a success. Your insanity was proven years ago, my friend. All right, Ron Gross, James Early, Seth Jason. Guys, we'll see you later in the show. Coming up, The Motley Fool's own retirement expert, Robert Brokamp, with some advice on Social Security and what you can do to help secure your own financial independence. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. A lot of topics were discussed at the most recent debate of Republican presidential candidates, but the topic getting the most headlines the next day was a financial one, Social Security. Here to help us make sense of it all is the Motley Fool's retirement expert, Robert Brokamp. Robert, thanks for being here. So good to be here. So Governor Rick Perry of Texas, uh, famously now, uh, calls Social Security a Ponzi scheme. What? I mean, when you think about Social Security, what what is the future of it? Well, first of all, uh, let's remember what a Ponzi scheme is. You put your money in an investment. Instead of getting a return, what you're really getting is the money of the investors who came in behind you. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, Social Security is a Ponzi scheme. But it's always been that way, and it was designed that way. 
the payments that people receive today, the retirees, is not money that came from an investment account that had their name on it. It is the taxes that you and I pay as workers. Our taxes go to pay current benefits with the idea that when we retire, the people who are working 30 years from now will be paying our benefits. It's always been that way. The question is, is it sustainable? And uh, given the current trajectory, it isn't exactly, but it only takes a couple of tweaks to make it fine. So right now, am I correct on this, that right now Social Security is set, as it is currently set up, through... 2036, sometime in the 2030s. Right, exactly. And that factors in the so-called trust funds, which is a very complicated issue. When you and I pay our taxes, the vast majority of the money that we pay goes to current beneficiaries. A small part of that goes into the trust funds, which are invested in special treasury bonds. Now, of course, some people will say those aren't really worth that much because in the end, the government doesn't have that money. They've Mm -hmm. spent it. That's a valid point. But generally speaking, those will be uh, exhausted sometime in the 2030s, and taxes will pay about 75 to 80 percent of projected benefits. So if those trust funds go away and there are no changes, future retirees will still get about 75 to 80 percent of what they're promised. So for someone like me, who's in his, I'm in my mid-40s, um, w- what can I count on when I retire? I think when, you, when you're running your retirement numbers and you pull up a retirement calculator and you want to say, like, am I saving enough to retire? Mm-hmm. It's going to ask you, what are you going to get from Social Security? And I think the safe thing to assume is if you're in your late 50s and older, you're going to get what you're promised. Okay. If you're in your 40s to your 50s, I would say count on maybe getting 75 to 80%. For people who are in their early 40s or younger, play it safer. Assume you're going to only get 50%, although I'm pretty sure you're still going to get that. But you're building a margin of safety in there, and anything above that 50% will be gravy. So you think that uh, that just seems like a pretty wide range for me, people in their early 40s and younger. Um, uh, if, you're, if you're just starting out or you're just graduating from college, like your mid-20s, something like that, you're, you're still thinking it's like around 50%? I think so. I think what will happen is there, there definitely has to be changes, and there will be changes. One thing that will probably happen is you have to retire later to get your full benefits. Right now, you have to wait until you're 67. I wouldn't be surprised if they move that to 70 or later, which, in my opinion, is totally appropriate because one of the problems with Social Security is that we're living longer. So fine, move the age up. That's a good problem to have, That's isn't a it? bad problem. We shouldn't be living so long. <laughs> and then the other thing is uh, they might have to raise taxes on some people. So in, 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 to some degree, then you have to think, well... For those younger folks, maybe they won't be able to save as much for retirement, and that's certainly still a benefit cut of sorts. But in the end, Social Security will still be there, and I think you can assume about 50%. You're listening to Motley Fool Money, talking with Robert Brokamp, the Motley Fool's retirement expert. What do you think is the biggest misconception about Social Security? Sort of what I alluded to earlier, in that people think there's this account with their name on it and saying, this is... This is Chris Hill's Social Security investment account, and we're just accumulating money for him so that when he retires, he can tap that. It's just not there. It's a big bunch of money that gets dispersed. There's nothing. uh, It's not an investment account. Actually, it's really an insurance program is what the way it's designed. The taxes on your, your paycheck are FICA, the Federal Insurance Contributions Act. It is to it's insurance against going into your old age with absolutely nothing. It was never meant to be an investment account or a way to pay for your complete retirement. So broadening beyond Social Security, um, what are two or three things that everyone should be doing to plan for their retirement? Well, the first thing is 
like I said, you should run your numbers. You should pull up some sort of retirement calculator. We have one on Motley Fool. Make sure you're saving enough to retire when and how you want. You don't want to get to your 60s and realize, oh, no, I should have been saving more the last Mm -hmm. 20 years because at that point it's too late. Uh, The other thing is related to Social Security, the later you take it, the older you are when you take it, the bigger benefit you'll get. So you can take it as early as 62, but you're going to have a much smaller benefit than if you wait until 66 or even 70. Unfortunately, these days, the vast majority of people take it at 62. They're taking it too early. You should wait till you're, till you're a little older. All right. Let's wrap up with a round of buy, sell, or hold. Uh, buy, sell, or hold the likelihood that in the next five years, the retirement age will be raised to 70. I'm going to say that's a buy with the only caveat being I don't know when it's going to happen. But I think it has to happen. Uh, the average retirement age was going down from something like 70 when Social Security was created down to about 62 in the mid-2000s. Now it's going up again because people just don't have that money. And, and I think there is a realization that we're living longer, so there's no reason to retire at 62 if you're going to live till 92. This is a way that retirees can supplement their income, buy, sell, or hold reverse mortgages. I like to think, it's, first of all, reverse mortgage is a way to tap your home equity if you're 62 or older. And that is also something that the, the older you are when you do it, uh, the bigger benefit you will get. Mm-hmm. I like to think of home equity as a really big emergency fund when you're older. If you need lo- a little long-term care assistance in case your portfolio uh, is significantly reduced. So I would say don't do it unless you absolutely need to. But if you need to, especially if you're in your 70s, I think it's a good idea. It's become one of the most popular countries for U.S. retirees to move to. Buy, sell, or hold retiring in Costa Rica. I would say it's a buy. It's beautiful. (laughs) The cost of living is very low. Um, It's a great thing to do. In general, retiring overseas uh, can be a great way to stretch your dollar. Uh, The only drawback is a lot of benefits like Medicare and things like that may not work overseas. This is a way to save for college. Buy, sell, or hold 529 plans. Very strong buy. I have 529 plans for my own kids. Mm-hmm. It's a way to save for college on a tax-free basis. The money grows tax-free if you use it for qualified expenses. In some states, like here in the great state of Virginia, if you make a contribution, you get a deduction on your state income tax return. So it's got a lot of tax benefits. And finally, this is the ultimate for someone who wants to truly rule their retirement. Buy, sell, or hold being cryogenically preserved. I would say that is a uh, a hold depending on what's being preserved because I've seen lots of body parts and things and uh, some of my body parts I just don't want to live forever. You're, but you're not thinking like, you know, if you get close to the end, you're like, you just go into a deep sleep, the whole thing, and then maybe a hundred years later you come out, you're, you know, you're looking good. And think of the interest you will have accrued. That's true. If you, if you just think of how much $2,000 would be worth after a century of earning 10% a year. I think it's a great idea. That's right. So if you get to age 65 or 70 and you don't have enough money, go into preservation stage, come out 100 years later, finally you'll have enough to retire. He runs the Motley Fool's Rule Your Retirement Service, retirement guru Robert Brokamp. Thanks for being here. Great to be here. When I get older, losing my head, many years from now, will you still be sending me a valentine? Birthday greetings, bottle of wine. You can get a free 30-day trial to the Rule Your Retirement service simply by going to retirement.fool.com. 
You get model portfolios, advice on mutual funds, as well as advice on how and when to retire. That's retirement.fool.com. Coming up, a round of Which is Bigger? And a few stocks on our radar. This is Motley Fool Money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill, and back in the studio with me, three of the guys who run our premium services here at The Motley Fool, Ron Gross, James Early, and Seth Jason. Guys, we've got a little bit of time. We're going to do something we haven't done in a while, which is uh, break out a game that we like to call Which is Bigger? And is that I, the right game to play with this crowd? Or I think I think we can uh, tastefully get away with playing which is bigger and uh, right, stop snickering. Is this for money or for fun? Uh, this is this is for pride, Ron. <laughs> okay, all right. And uh, and just to make it really what interesting, if you have none? we'll we'll bring in our man Steve Roido from the other side of the glass. Are you ready, Steve? Absolutely. All right. Which is bigger, the average square footage of a Costco store, or the combined square footage of the White House and Bill Gates's house? Ooh. Ron, start with you. East wing and west wing. It's the White House, Ron. <laughs> yes, the whole. It's both wings. I'm going to say Costco. Costco. So the, the White House and Bill Gates's. I'm house. taking B. Yep. You're taking B, Steve. What do you think? White House and Bill Gates's house. Should have gone with Ron. The average square footage of your average Costco around 145,000 square I feet. It was 155. I would. Uh. But that's close. Bill Gates around 66,000 uh, square feet. White House 55,000. White House not that. And big. you can't get really? corrosive toilet paper at the White House. Exactly. <laughs> you can't get that <laughs> then five you don't gallon. Have the right connections, my friend. <laughs> you can't get that five gallon thing of olive oil. Right. Um, which is bigger? The no, per- they keep that under guard <laughs> which is bigger the pre- the percentage increase in shares of crocs over the last two years or the pre- uh, percentage increase in shares of chipotle over the last two years increase in the number of shares no the the you're talking about the return the return the return over the what period last two years crocs yeah. and chipotle uh i crocs 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 was almost dead yeah I think going Crocs? I'll go with Crocs, but I think I heard someone talking about this earlier, so I may have the inside scoop. I think it is Crocs. <laughs> Honestly, it is, it is Crocs. Croc, shares of Crocs up around 270% over the last two years. Chipotle, 250%. Yeah, Chipotle, on the other hand, wasn't in danger of going bankrupt. Right, yeah. I mean, uh, to be fair. Or becoming completely irrelevant forever. Yeah, Crocs were, you know, shares were trading at one point around 70. Um, I think today they're in the mid-20s. Uh, which is bigger, Apple's cash on hand or Luxembourg's GDP. Oh, I love that. Wow. Ron? <laughs> GDP of Lu- little tiny Luxembourg. Uh, Apple. We might have a listener or two in Luxembourg. You never know. You Be kind. And they get angry. James? Apple. Apple. Apple? We, I'm sure we have a listener. My, my good friend Rob Aaron, who lives on the Mosul down there in uh, Maktoum in Luxembourg, where I have visited. I'm going to Luxembourg. It's uh, They've got a lot of money there, but I don't know how big the GDP is. Steve? I'll go Luxembourg just because it sounds like fun. It's Apple. Apple's got about $76 billion on hand. Luxembourg's GDP around $52 billion. Well, you can't put them that close. Well, I mean, isn't the obvious play for Apple here just to flat out buy Luxembourg? Buy Luxembourg. Buy yeah. Luxembourg's beautiful. Yeah. But they would have to pay a multiple of GDP. Yeah. I don't think just GDP. I, th- oh. I think you could just get like a straight. <laughs> you you yeah, they speak a weird language there, so they might be on sale. Which is bigger, Apple's market cap or Belgium's GDP? Oh. Ron? <laughs> the market cap or Bill? I'm going to say Belgium. James? I'll go with Apple again. Apple. Apple. How dare you, people? It's Belgium. Bel- four, Belgium four. Oh, Belgium's GDP, wow. uh, over $460 billion. Uh, Apple's market cap, 
around $350 billion. I'd just like to take a moment and apologize to our dozens of listeners in Belgium. Uh, the, the comments of James Early, Seth Jason, and Steve Roto in no way reflect how much... <laughs> we love your waffles. We love waffles. Belgium. We love their beer. <laughs> I've spent plenty of money in Belgium. Not enough to give them that kind of a GDP, though. What are they doing up there? And finally, which is bigger, the total number of internet users in China or the total number of internet users in the United States, India, and Japan? Ron, your perfect record <laughs> yeah, yes, is yes, on yes. the line. It's the, it's the India one. It's the India, India, U.S., and Japan. Yes. Okay, James. China. Seth. I I couldn't know less about these things. So <laughs> I'm going to say China again. Steve. Uh, China sounds good. Ron's perfect record is no longer intact. Oh, uh, China. It's a lot of rural China that does not have internet access. Are you sure? And they yet, have phones that can kind this of. This is look crack at the research internet. from our producer Matt Greer. 485 million internet users in China. Um, and the total for the U.S., India, and Japan, a combined 445. So, Ron, we do I have... I think s- there's a margin of error there that kind of puts it at a dead heat. We have some lovely... You don't trust the Chinese government's yeah. stats. Yeah. We have some lovely parting gifts for you, Ron. <laughs> don't worry. We should uh, have done smokers in China versus U.S. population. I knew that one. You know, maybe Matt can work on that for next time. I think it's way too easy. <laughs> it's, it's smokers in China. All right. We will move on to stocks on our radar. And, guys, I am proud to announce that uh, we have a sponsor here no way. at Mom's It's our uh, stocks on our radar brought to us by Encore Insurance Services. For a free life insurance quote, visit smartterm.com, or you can call toll-free 1-866-347-5748. That's 866-347-5748. They'll compare rates to help you save. It's a free quote, so give them a call or just visit smartterm.com, where you will also find licensing and disclaimer information. All right. I'm actually going to do that. I'm in the market for life insurance. Smartterm.com. I'm going to do that, unless it's a compliance issue for us. No, I'll check no, with legal. No, no, I've already checked with legal. It's all good. Uh, Ron Gross, the stock on your radar this week. Yes, I'm re- uh, revisiting a stock I used to own called FLIR, ticker symbol F-L-I-R. Stock's off 30% from a 52-week high. They are a manufacturer of thermal imaging systems. Those things on Mythbusters when they're lighting <laughs> each other on they're fire. They're used for both surveillance, um, uh, terrorism, and, and the war on terror uh, increases the, the need for these things, as well as industrial applications, making sure that there's no leaks or defects in buildings. Um, so the stock is down as a result of the overall market, the economy being weak. I think this is a real interesting opportunity. Wonderful balance sheet, nice cash flow producer. What do these things cost? Like how much if I wanted to buy a thermal imaging system? <laughs> they're not cheap. They're not cheap. And they're, if you they're, want they're forty percent yeah. of businesses to the government, and yeah, so these yeah. are real. You, know. you want to stick one on the front of your helicopter to find uh, to find insurgents that's going to cost. Be fun to watch people. <laughs> uh, let's bring in Steve Broido. Steve, do you have a question uh, for Ron about his stock? Sure. How, how much of a growth market is there in thermal imaging? It seems like there would be a limited number of people interested in a technology like this, and I would assume most of those people already own thermal imagers. I don't know. James seems pretty interested. (laughs) (laughs) As uh, infrastructure gets built out um, overseas, emerging markets, there will be um, a need um, for engineers and manufacturers to use these for industrial applications. Um, From a government perspective and a surveillance perspective, perhaps lower growth um, than we'll see uh, over in emerging markets. James? Chris, my stock is Williams Company. The ticker is WMB. This is a natural gas pipeline company. It's a, a very uh, sexy business, in, in <laughs> my opinion, if I'm, I'm a dividend lover. 3% yield now, which is not huge, but it just announced a 25% dividend raise, and it plans now to raise its dividend 10% to 15% per year for the foreseeable future. So basically, it's a pipeline company that's gotten itself into high gear and dividend since. 
Steve, question for James? Sure. What is a good dividend that I could I should expect? Is this in line? Uh, good is in the eyes of the beholder, Steve. But basically, three percent is is above average. That's a solid yield. Um, that's about the cutoff that I look for at income investor for something to count as a dividend stock. Well, what's the S and P five hundred yield right now? Do you know about two two points? Or 2.5, 2.6, something like that. So if, if it's 3% or higher, you're getting above average. Above average, yeah. All right. Seth, Jason, your stock this week? Well, I saw that uh, late this week, McDonald's was clubbed down a little bit during the bad market on, on news that horror of horrors comps were only up 3.5% or something, and analysts wanted more. And you know what? McDonald's never looks cheap. It's probably not cheap, cheap here. Cheap, cheap, cheap. But I think you could do uh, worse than to start a position here uh, if you don't have one. I mean, it's McDonald's. Everyone eats at McDonald's, except for those foodies. The ticker symbol? MCD. Steve, question for Seth? Sure. McDonald's is a franchise business, as I understand it. For the most part. Do you uh, have a lot of faith in franchises? They seem, uh, franchise-operated businesses always seem troublesome. Well, it depends. Are we talking about Pretzel Wagon here from The Simpsons, (laughs) uh, or are we talking about McDonald's? McDonald's has this stuff down to a science, and so I would trust a McDonald's franchise business Yes, very much. Uh, some of the newer franchises that you get at these weird fairs, uh, I'd be uh, be leery of those. Where do I find the weird fairs? Yeah, we should go to a weird <laughs> franchise fair. Let's do that. That's kind of interesting. Absolutely. Let's let's get on that. I want to go to the. I want to <laughs> see the pretzel wagon. <laughs> All right. Before we let you get out of here, Ron Gross, uh, guy who runs Million Dollar Portfolio. One thing you're working on for next week? For next week, so we're. Um basically fully invested in million dollar portfolios so um, some tough decisions have to be made when looking at new stocks because you have to sell something to free up capital uh, so we're going to be looking hard at kind of ranking stocks to see because we always want the, the the best stocks in the portfolio at any one time James Early income investor what's on your Chris, radar we have for been next polishing week? off our annual review this is our our, our sort of most loved issue of the year where we talk about all of our stocks, the, the good and the bad, and that comes out next week. And I'm thinking about doing some funny videos, too. So if you have ideas, uh, send them to me, and I, I might entertain them. Maybe some dancing, actually. Keep them PG. <laughs> yeah, p- definitely keep them PG. Seth Jason, Hidden Gems, what's uh, what's up for the next week? Uh, the, over the past couple of weeks, I've been revisiting oil field uh, services and uh, other sort of Gulf oil field, uh, Gulf oil stocks, because, uh, what was it? When did that whole BP thing blow up? Uh, was that a year and a half yeah, ago? Yeah, a while. We recommended a bunch of stocks in that space. They went on to clobber the market uh, pretty handily. And uh, a lot of them have been beaten back since then. So I'm looking at these. I'm reviewing these to see what opportunities there might be all over again. All right. Seth Jason, James Early, Ron Gross. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. You can check out the services these guys run at fool.com. Thanks to our guest this week, Robert Brokamp. You can get a free 30-day trial to his service by going to retirement.fool.com. That's it for this edition of Motley Fool Money. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Hey.